0: chapter 4 of the lamplighter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by bridget gage the lamplighter by maria susanna cummins chapter 4 in age in infancy from others aid is all our hope to teach us to be kind that nature's first last lesson to mankind young little girty had found a friend and a protector and it was well she had for suffering and neglect had well nigh cut short her sad existence, and ended all her sorrows. The morning after True took her home, she woke in a high fever, her head and limbs aching, and with every symptom of severe illness. She looked around, and found she was alone in the room. But there was a good fire, and preparation for some breakfast. For a moment or two she was puzzled to know where she was, and what had happened to her, for the room seemed quite strange, now that she first saw it by daylight. A look of happiness passed over her little sick face when she recalled the events of the previous night, and thought of kind old True, and the new home she had found with him. She got up and went to the window to look out, though her head was strangely giddy, and she tottered so that she could hardly walk. The ground was covered with snow, and it was still stormy without. It seemed as if the snow dazzled Gertie's eyes, for she suddenly found herself quite blinded. Her head grew dizzy. SHE STAGGERED AND FELL. TRUMAN CAME IN, A MOMENT AFTER, AND WAS VERY MUCH FRIGHTENED AT SEEING Gertie STRETCHED UPON THE FLOOR, BUT SOON FOUND OUT THE REAL STATE OF THE CASE, FOR HE HAD MADE UP HIS MIND DURING THE NIGHT THAT SHE WAS A VERY SICK CHILD, AND WAS NOT SURPRISED THAT SHE HAD FAINTED IN ENDEAVORING TO WALK. HE PLACED HER IN BED, AND SOON SUCCEEDED IN RESTORING HER TO CONSCIOUSNESS. BUT FOR THREE WEEKS FROM THAT TIME SHE NEVER SAT UP, EXCEPT WHEN TRUE HELD HER IN HIS ARMS. True was a rough and clumsy man about most things, but not so in the care of his little charge. He knew a good deal about sickness, was something of a doctor and nurse in his simple way, and, though he had never had much to do with children, his warm heart was a trusty guide, and taught him all that was necessary for Gertie's comfort, and far, far more kindness than she had ever experienced before. Gertie was very patient. She would sometimes lie awake whole nights, SUFFERING FROM PAIN AND EXTREME WEARINESS AT HER LONG CONFINEMENT TO A SICK-BED, WITHOUT UTTERING A groan OR MAKING ANY NOISE, LEST SHE MIGHT WAKEN TRUE, WHO SLEPT ON THE FLOOR BESIDE HER, WHEN HE COULD SO FAR FORGET HIS ANXIETY ABOUT HER AS TO SLEEP AT ALL. SOMETIMES WHEN SHE WAS IN GREAT PAIN, TRUE HAD CARRIED HER IN HIS ARMS FOR HOURS. BUT EVEN THEN GERTY WOULD TRY TO APPEAR RELIEVED, BEFORE SHE REALLY WAS SO, AND EVEN feign SLEEP, THAT HE MIGHT PUT HER BACK TO BED AGAIN, AND TAKE SOME REST HIMSELF. Her little heart was full of love and gratitude to her kind protector, and she spent much of her time in thinking what she could ever do for him when she got well, and wondering whether she were capable of ever learning to do any good thing at all. True was often obliged to leave her, to attend to his work, and during the first week of her sickness she was much alone, though everything she could possibly want was put within her reach, and many a caution given to her to keep still in bed until his return. At last, however, she grew delirious, and for some days had no knowledge how she was taken care of. One day, after a long and quiet sleep, she woke quite restored to sense and consciousness, and saw a woman sitting by her bedside sewing. She sprang up in bed to look at the stranger, who had not observed her open her eyes, but who started the moment she heard her move, and exclaimed, "'Oh, lie down, my child, lie down!' "'at the same time laying her hand gently upon her "'to enforce the injunction. "'I don't know you,' said Gertie. "'Where's my Uncle True?' "'For that was the name by which True had told her to call him. "'He's gone out, dear. He'll be home soon. "'How do you feel? Better?' "'Oh, yes, much better. Have I been asleep long?' Some time. Lie down now, and I'll bring you some gruel. "'It will be good for you.' "'Does Uncle True know you are here?' "'Yes. I came in to sit with you while he was away.' "'Came in? From where?' "'From my room. I live in the other part of the house.' "'I think you're very good,' said Gertie. "'I like you. I wonder why I did not see you when you came in.' "'You were too sick, dear, to notice, but I think you'll soon be better now.' The woman prepared her gruel, and after Gertie had taken it, reseated herself at her work. Gertie lay down in bed, with her face towards her new friend, and, fixing her large eyes upon her, watched her some time while she sat sewing. At last the woman looked up and said, "'Well, what do you think I'm making?' "'I don't know,' said Gerty. "'What are you?' The woman held up her work, so that Gerty could see it was a dark calico frock for a child. "'Oh, what a nice gown,' said Gerty. "'Who is it for? Your little girl?' "'No,' said the woman. "'I haven't got any little girl. "'I've only got one child—my boy, Willie.' "'Willie, that's a pretty name,' said Gerty. "'Is he a good boy?' "'Good! He's the best boy in the world, and the handsomest,' answered the woman, her pale, careworn face lit up with all a mother's pride. Gerty turned away, and a look so unnaturally sad for a child came over her countenance, that the woman, looking up, thought she was getting tired, and ought to be kept very quiet. She told her so, and bade her to shut up her eyes and go to sleep again. Gerty obeyed the first injunction, and lay so still that the latter seemed in a fair way to be fulfilled.' when the door opened gently, and True came in. "'Oh, Miss Sullivan,' said he, "'you're still here.' "'I'm very much obliged to you for staying. I hadn't calculated to be gone so long. And how does the child seem to be, marm?' "'Much better, Mr. Flint. She's come to her reason, and I think, with care. We'll do very well now.' "'Oh, she's awake,' she added, seeing Gertie open her eyes. True came up to the bedstead, stroked back her hair, now cut short and neatly arranged, felt of her pulse— and nodded his head satisfactorily. Gertie caught his great hand between both of hers and held it tight. He sat down on the side of the bed, and, glancing at Mrs. Sullivan's work, said, "'I shouldn't be surprised if she needed her new clothes sooner than we thought for, marm. It's my opinion we'll have her up and about afore many days.' "'So I was thinking,' said Mrs. Sullivan, "'but don't be in too great a hurry. She's had a very severe sickness, and her recovery must be gradual. "'Did you see Miss Graham today? "'Yes, I did see her, poor thing. "'The Lord bless her sweet face. "'She axed a sight o' questions about little Gertie here, "'and gave me this parcel of arrowroot. I think she called it. "'She says it's excellent in sickness. "'Did you ever fix any, Miss Sullivan, "'so that you can just show me how, if you'll be so good? "'For I declare I don't remember, "'though she took a deal o' pains to tell me. "'Oh, yes, it's very easy. "'I'll come in and prepare some by and by. "'I don't think Gertie'll want any at present. "'She's just had some gruel.' "'But father has come home, and I must be seeing about our tea. "'I'll come in again this evening, Mr. Flint. "'Thank you, marm, thank you. You're very kind.' During the few following days, Mrs. Sullivan came in and sat with Gertie several times. She was a gentle, subdued sort of woman, with a placid face, that was very refreshing to a child that had long lived in fear and suffered a great deal of abuse. She always brought her work with her, which was usually some child's garment that she was making.' One evening, when Gertie had nearly recovered from her tedious fever, she was sitting in True's lap by the stove-fire, carefully wrapped up in a blanket. She had been talking to him about her new acquaintance and friend. Suddenly looking up in his face, she said, "'Uncle True, do you know what little girl she's making a gown for?' "'For a little girl,' said True, "'that needs a gown and a good many other things, "'for she hasn't got any clothes, as I know on, except a few old rags. "'Do you know any such little girl, Gertie?' "'I guess I do,' said Gertie, with her head a little on one side, and a very knowing look. "'Well, where is she? Ain't she in your lap?' "'What? You? Why, do you think Mrs. Sullivan would spend her time making clothes for you?' "'Well,' said Gertie, hanging her head, "'I shouldn't think she would. But then you said—' "'Well, what did I say? Something about new clothes for me.' "'So I did,' said True, giving her a rough hug and they are for you—two whole suits, and shoes and stockings into the bargain." Gertie opened her large eyes in amazement, laughed and clapped her hands. True laughed, too. They both seemed very happy. "'Did she buy them, Uncle True? Is she rich?' said Gertie. Miss Sullivan? No, indeed," said True. Miss Graham bought em, and is going to pay Miss Sullivan for making them. "'Who is Miss Graham?' "'She's a lady too good for this world, That's sartain. I'll tell you about her some time.' but I better not now, I guess. It's time you were abed bed and asleep." One Sabbath, after Gertie was nearly well, she was so much fatigued with sitting up all day, that she went to bed before dark, and for two or three hours slept very soundly. On awaking she saw that True had company. An old man, much older, she thought, than True, was sitting on the opposite side of the stove, smoking a pipe. His dress, though of ancient fashion, and homely in its materials, was very neat and his hair, of which he had but little, and that perfectly white, growing in two long locks just behind his ears, was nicely combed up and tied on the top of his head, which was elsewhere bald and shiny. He had sharp features, and Gertie thought, from his looks, it must be easy for him to say sharp things—indeed, rather hard for him to say anything pleasant. There was a sarcastic expression about the corners of his mouth, and a disappointed look in his whole face, which Gertie observed— though she could not have defined, and from which she drew her conclusions with regard to his temper. She rightly conjectured that he was Mrs. Sullivan's father, Mr. Cooper, and in the opinion she formed of him, from her first observation, she did not widely differ from most other people who knew the old church sexton. But both his own face and public opinion somewhat wronged him. It was true his was not a genial nature— domestic trials and the unkindness and fickleness of fortune had caused him to look upon the dark side of life to dwell upon its sorrows and frown upon the bright hopes of the young and the gay who as he was wont to say with a mysterious shake of his head knew but little of the world the occupation too which had of late been his was not calculated to counteract a disposition to melancholy his duties in the church were mostly solitary and as he was much withdrawn in his old age from intercourse with the world at large, he had become severe toward its follies, and unforgiving towards its crimes. There was much that was good and benevolent in him, however, and True Flint knew it, and loved to draw it out. True liked the old man's sincerity and honesty, and many a Sabbath evening had they sat by that same fireside, and discussed all those questions of public policy, national institutions, and individual rights which every American feels called upon to take under his especial consideration, besides many matters of private feeling and interest, without their friendly relations being once disturbed or endangered. And this was the more remarkable, insomuch as Truman Flint was the very reverse of old Paul Cooper in disposition and temper, being hopeful and sanguine, always disposed to look upon the bright side of things, and, however discouraging they might seem, ever averring that it was his opinion to what all come out right at last. On the evening of which we are speaking, they had been talking on several of their usual topics. But when Gertie awoke, she found herself the subject of conversation. Of course, she soon became deeply interested. "'Where,' said Mr. Cooper, "'did you say you picked her up?' "'At Nan Grant's,' said True. "'Don't you remember her?' she's the same woman whose son you were called up to witness against at the time the church windows were broken the night afore the fourth of july you can't have forgotten her at the trial cooper for she blew you up with a vengeance and didn't spare his honour the judge either well twas just such a rage she was in with this ere child the first time i see her and the second time she'd just turned her out o doors ah yes i remember the she-bear i shouldn't suppose she'd be any too gentle to her own child much less a stranger's "'But what are you going to do with the foundling, Flint?' "'Do with her? Keep her, to be sure, and take care on her.' Cooper laughed rather sarcastically. "'Well, now, I suppose, neighbor, you think it is rather freakish in me "'to be adopting a child at my time of life. "'And perhaps it is. But I'll explain to you just how twas. "'She'd a died that night, I tell yer on, if I hadn't brought her home with me, "'and a good many times since. What's more, if I, with the help of your daughter, "'hadn't took mighty good care of her.' Well, she took on so in her sleep the first night ever she came, and cried out to me, all as if she'd never had a friend afore. And I doubt me she never had. That I made up my mind then she should stay, at any rate, and I'd take care on her, and share my last crust with the wee thing, come what might. The Lord's been very merciful to me, Mr. Cooper, very merciful. He's raised me up friends in my deep distress. I knew, when I was a little shaver, what a lonesome thing it was to be fatherless and motherless and when I see this little sufferin' human bein', I felt as if, all friendless as she seemed, she was more particularly the Lord's, and as if I could not serve him more, and ought not to serve him less, than to share with her the blessings he has bestowed on me. You look round, neighbor, as if you thought wasn't much to share with any one. And taint much there is here, to be sure. But it's a home, yes a home, and that's a great thing to her that never had one.' I've got my hands yet, and a stout heart, and a will in mind. With God's help, I'll be a father to that child, and the time may come when she'll be God's embodied blessing to me. Mr. Cooper shook his head doubtfully, and muttered something about children, even one's own not being apt to prove blessings. But he had not power to shake Truman's high faith in the wisdom, as well as righteousness, of his own proceedings. He had risen in the earnestness with which he had spoken and after pacing the room hastily and with excitement, he returned to his seat and said, "'Besides, neighbor Cooper, if I had not made up my mind the night Gertie came here, I wouldn't have sent her away after the next day, for the Lord, I think, spoke to me by the mouth of one of his holy angels, and bade me persevere in my resolution. "'You've seen Miss Graham. She goes to your church regular, with a fine old gentleman, her father. I was at their house shoveling snow after the great storm three weeks since, AND SHE SENT FOR ME TO COME INTO THE KITCHEN. WELL, MAY I BLESS HER ANGEL FACE, POOR THING, IF THE WORLD IS DARK TO HER, SHE MAKES IT LIGHT TO OTHER FOLKS. SHE CANNOT SEE HEAVEN'S SUNSHINE OUTSIDE, BUT SHE'S BETTER OFF THAN MOST PEOPLE, FOR SHE'S GOT IT IN HER, I DO BELIEVE, AND WHEN SHE SMILES IT LETS THE GLORY OUT, AND LOOKS LIKE GOD'S RAINBOW IN THE CLOUDS. SHE'S DONE ME MANY A KINDNESS, SINCE I GOT HURT SO BAD IN HER FATHER'S STORE, NOW SOME FIVE YEARS GONE, AND SHE SENT FOR ME THAT DAY, TO ASK HOW I DID and if there was anything I wanted that she could speak to the master about. So I told her all about little Gertie. And I tell you, she and I both cried for I'd done. She put some money into my hand, and told me to get Miss Sullivan to make some clothes for Gertie. More than that, she promised to help me if I got into trouble with the care of her. And when I was going away, she said, "'I'm sure you've done quite right, True. "'The Lord will bless and reward your kindness to that poor child.' True was so excited and animated by his subject that he did not notice what the sexton had observed, but did not choose to interrupt. Gertie had risen from her bed, and was standing beside True, her eyes fixed upon his face, breathless with the interest she felt in his words. She touched his shoulder. He looked round, saw her, and stretched out his arms. She sprang into them, buried her face in his bosom, and bursting into a paroxysm of joyful tears, gasped out the words— Shall I stay with you always? Yes, just as long as I live, said True. You shall be my child. End of chapter 4